0: We're, we're at the end of February, we're starting March, and so we're going to pass around the Wednesday night sign-up sheet, or, and uh, we it's already gone through the, the, the youngsters, and so they've taken almost all the slots, so there's only a few left, which is good because there's only a few of us here tonight, uh, but there's a few uh, five-minute devotionals here, so I'm going to start it with Peyton, and if Peyton leaves any spots for anybody else, we can pass it on to some others, as that sound? All right. We started our discussion last week, as Timothy, as Paul gives Timothy some instructions on on uh, Christian living and some of the things he expects the minister to do and, and and to for the congregation with within the congregation. And we had a discussion on elders, or or Paul was inspired to write to Timothy about uh, honoring the elders, and uh, in verses seventeen. Through 25, he speaks of of honoring the elders and supporting them in their work. Uh, Those who take care of the Lord's church, of God's church, chapter 3, verse 5, they must be able to teach. These are the qualities we see back in 1 Timothy 3. But in 1 Timothy 5, beginning in verse 17, he says, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of a double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. So the idea here is there, There's every elder is worthy of honor, and those whose work is preaching and teaching are worthy of double honor. We uh, kind of had a, an interesting uh, dual meaning to that word honor, which was kind of neat in our discussion last week, where certainly uh, are those who are willing to take on the responsibility of spiritually shepherding a congregation... When they stand before God will receive honor from him, and so that there 's the honor that they have from him uh, I think what what paul 's writing to Timothy about here may have to do with not not only that type of honor but also maybe a, even uh, an, an income because the the two examples that are giving is muzzling muzzling the ox while it treads the grain, and the worker deserves his wages so there seems to have been a a, a, a sense where some of the elders were Probably uh, elder slash preacher slash teacher slash janitor, you know, in, in, in the churches. And and they were worthy of, of uh, pay. So all of our elders are worthy of honor. Those who do the work well are worthy of double honor. Uh, also 9 verses 19 and 20, uh, protecting them from unfair accusations. Um, do not entertain an, an accusation against an elder unless it's brought by two or three witnesses. It goes back to the Old Testament it was brought out last week. Or if you brought someone to trial, you need to have witnesses. You can't be a he said, he said. Uh, Those who sin are be rebuked publicly uh, so that others may take warning. So it's not as though elders are above reproach or or they're beyond making a mistake or even beyond church discipline, but we need to be sure that that if there's not a a vendetta or something going on, if if there's a real problem, it must be dealt with. But uh, first of all, let's, let's don't let elders take flack for being elders because they rub somebody the wrong way. Finally, verse twenty-one through twenty-five, um, honoring our elders means exercising good judgment. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy, says, "I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. Don't be hasty in laying on of hands and do not share in, this, uh, not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Stop drinking only water. Use a little wine because your stomach and your frequent illnesses. The sins of some men are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them in the same way. Good deeds are obvious." and even those are not are not uh, that are not cannot be hidden. So uh just some some sense of uh kind of just a, a shotgun approach to just church leadership it seems to me like. So let's talk about uh our eldership and and our job our our role in in honoring and in protecting and in following our leadership. Uh, our three elders that we have here and I, I've drawn this from. I'm, I'm going to make a. Com- I'm going to make a comment, and it's going to be related to the elders from Texas. And I'll say this because uh, I always feel kind of uh, uh, self-conscious when I speak for some somebody else when I'm talking about women's roles or anything else as elders. Something I don't have any personal experience with. I feel very uh, uh, careful about that. But I, I have sat in with, with lots of elders and visited with lots of elders and worked closely with lots of elders, and it's been my blessing to do that uh, and my privilege. And, and I, I, would, I remember as an early preacher, uh, the, the, the church in Texas I worked with for almost 20 years, it, it shocked me because many of the elders there would, would talk about how their relationship with their friends and members in the congregation changed when they became elders. Uh, and so they it, it, they felt like that that the way the the way the congregation interacted with them kind of changed when when they took on that mantle of elder. So let me just ask this: if you are here tonight and you don't have any firsthand experience, if if you've never served as an elder or if you've never had a husband that served as an elder, I want to get your feedback. I want to get your thoughts. What if if you were to guess or from what you've seen in the elders that have have shepherded you? What would you presume would be the toughest part of their job? If you've never been an elder or never been married to an elder, but you've, served, but you, you worshiped, you've been part of a flock as an elder shepherds, what would you presume to be one the toughest part of their job? Anybody? Criticism. Sorry? Criticism? Criticism, Okay. They get a lot of criticism, yeah, and and whether sometimes it's fair, sometimes it's not, but but regardless, they're, they're certainly under a microscope, aren't they? Yeah, they're under a microscope. Okay, so so criticism, and and I don't know about you, I, I'd like to say I take constructive criticism well, but honestly, criticism is criticism, and it just it, it I try to find the the gold nugget in it, but it, it's it's always a little hurtful. It's always a it's. <laughs> Anyway, enough of that. Oh, it's like criticism. Okay. Anybody else? My dad was an elder, so I look at it from a little bit different perspective just because... So you're the daughter of an elder? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, yeah, um, just carrying the weight of, of being a leader. Yeah. Yeah. Part of it too. Then I see the joy of it because he was able to do like some traveling with Charlie Pines, and they were able to do some things and go some places and spread the word. That it brought up so much joy too. So okay. So so there's there's great joys and there's great there's great burdens the in, in terms of fe- feeling the responsibility of, of shepherding a congregation, but at the same time it brought opportunities to now let me ask you this. The the, the opportunities he had to like you say to go on some I guess some short term mission trips and that sort of thing, was that was that because he was an elder? Was that or was just I think part of it he had a, a big interest in that. Okay. So, Mm-hmm. Um, a, a congregation that was just kind of getting started there, you know, and being able to, like, spread the word and then do, do some things mission-wise. And, okay. You know, he, I don't know, he might have done it, but I think probably more so even because he was an elder at that time. Okay. So, might have done it anyway. All right. Anybody else? Jim? Jim? So, when, so when you, when you, regardless of whether it's secular or, 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 Christian, you say when you move into a management position, there's some there's some dynamics change a little bit. Okay. So, so being under, so you you served, you've worshipped under elders, and and you're friends with elders. What what would be your guess? Would be the dip, most difficult part of being an, an elder in a congregation? I would think would be the hardest thing. An elder would have to deal. With. The, the elders' favorite people or, or the people who people p- pick him as a favorite. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, in So you would you would you would think there there would be a, a need to be a concerted effort on the part of an elder to, to try to break out beyond just the, the close circle of, of good tight friends they have to, to try to connect with everybody in the congregation in some form or fashion. But, but, it's, but the, the tendency, and that's probably true for all of us, is to stick with the ones that, that are the, the, the inner circle, right? Okay. Anybody else? I would say the most of it, the elders would be the discipline. Discipline? When, when an elder needs to, to bring, bring out church discipline or, or self-discipline? Okay, church discipline, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. That's a lose-lose proposition, yeah, yeah, church dif- discipline. And and the reason it's a lose-lose proposition is because uh, I've seldom, first of all, I've seldom seen church discipline enacted because it's difficult. And second of all, I've seldom seen it when it is enacted. I've seldom seen the, 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 the sheep respond well to it. Uh, and and that's it, it's. I, went, I mentioned that the young man who who's a song leader who who had a real problem and, and he and his entire family left and and it wasn't necessarily discipline which was brought out last week it was more of a you know trying to trying to help him improve but there but even when they left there was still the residual in the congregation of of, of well, what the elders what did the elders do to run them off or how did the elders mishandle this. That where it wound up this way. Of course, the, the ball always landed in the elders' court. It was the, They dropped the ball somehow. And uh, and I, I don't think that was the case. I think they handled it quite well. But I just think there, there's the residual fallout that comes from that. So, church discipline. Susan? They're responsible for souls. Right. Yeah, they're responsible for souls, and if nothing else keeps you up at night, that would keep you up at night, wouldn't it? And the hard part is, so, so that you're, you're dead on. They're responsible for souls, but only, but, but they can only um, impact souls to the degree that those souls allow it. So it's it's like having it. It's like, uh, well, the, the I don't even dismiss it like hurting cats sometimes. It's like having a bunch of teenagers. You know, the there. I, I I'm not a teenager, but I want to be independent. I don't want somebody telling me what to do, and I don't. Want, I I certainly don't want somebody coming along beside me and saying, "Hey, I'm. I'm I, I think maybe you're making some bad choices here, here." Or, you know, and so yeah, the 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 responsibility for, and they're going to have to give an account for that. It 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 is. It's not as though you take a job with no consequences. There's there's consequences here. the the, the pressure, the, the 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 immense responsibility, the But there's also pressure from uh, when they stand before God on Judgment Day. So very, very difficult. So I'll say this. I have not heard in my four years here any of the elders here say that they felt like the congregation distanced themselves from the elders when they became elders. But that was a a constant theme where I came from. And I thought that was kind of interesting. And so I don't know if if the elders here have experienced it and just not mentioned it in my presence or, or what. But uh, they, uh, they, the elders there in Texas felt like that the congregation, that, that even their friends didn't speak as freely in their presence, as though something might come back to them. Uh, and yet, they they also felt like that while, to some degree, they were being kept in the dark. You know, there there was, it'd be great if your if your sheep would come up to you and say, "Hey, I I, I need you to I need you to to." To speak to my spiritual walk. I need you to help me. I need you to shepherd me. I, I need, I need but they felt like not only were, were some of the members kind of distancing a little bit, but at the same time, those members were expecting them to, to know how to shepherd them at the same time. So we're going to give you less information and expect more from you at the same time. That was one of the things they struggled with. Um, another thing that they felt like was a struggle for them was they, they felt like they, were, they had much more freedom to be less than perfect before they came, became an elder. That the expectations were a lot greater as far as them to always be at their very best and and never to drop the ball, uh, but so they're supposed to uh, they they were allowed to be less than perfect beforehand. But now that they're elders, they're supposed to be polished speakers, eloquent prayers, flawless diplomats, and perfect examples. And that was kind of what they shared. So uh, I'll say this: it, it's it's uh, it can often be a thankless job. And if you're like me, I'm more quick to complain than I am to praise. And I probably, I don't, not probably, I definitely need to. I need to be one who repents of that, and be quicker to praise than I am to complain. So we have we have some good men who are are devoted to to doing a good job, who stay awake at night, who who are prayerful, who are mindful. And, and another difficult part of being an elder is how do you measure spiritual growth? How do you measure the spiritual health of the congregation? You know, we can we can look at the checkbook and measure the financial health. We can look at the giving. We can look at the attendance. We can look. There's some things that are quantifiable, but how do you measure the spiritual growth, the spiritual health? So, so we have. Uh, it, it's a daunting task, and we have three men who have have taken that on along with their families, and it's a daunting task for the families as well. And so we're grateful for them, and we need to give them the honor that they are due, and they are due honor. All right, so let's move on. We've talked about elders, and again, Paul has kind of given a shotgun approach to some different responsibilities within the church. And for Timothy himself, uh, we'll go into chapter six, and we have Christians—the the call for Christians to fulfill their duties. Now we've talked about elders and their responsibilities, but now we talk about Christians and, and in general and their responsibilities. First um, Timothy chapter six. Starting in verse one, it won't be on the screen. First Timothy chapter six, beginning in verse one. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters are not to show less respect for them because they are brothers. Instead, they are to serve them better, serve them even better, because those who benefit from their service are believers and dear to them. These are the things you are to teach and to urge on them. That's some difficult language in there because we're talking about slaves and masters. And we don't thankfully have that in our, our world today. Uh, but probably the closest thing we have in our work today is, is a, an employer or an employee or a, a, a boss and, and, a, and a worker. And you, if you have a job you may feel like you're a slave. But, uh, that, but this, is, it's, it's, this is difficult. Uh, because we don 't use that language, and we have a very very unfortunate and difficult history in our own country with slavery as well but let 's just kind of break it out a little bit Christians a uh, Christian duty includes proper conduct in the workplace. Uh, this was written when slavery was very common, and so uh, this is this is the hard part The, the practice of slavery violates every tenet of uh, of Old Testament and New Testament Christian, uh, of Christianity, of, of, of human nature. I mean, it goes against everything that, that's good and everything that's right, but it was the bedrock of society in, in the time that, that Paul writes to Timothy. Uh, and so Christians had to learn to live their faith in situations that were extremely difficult. Now, just pretend with me for just a minute. Pretend that, that you and I live back in the days of, of Paul and Timothy. We're in the first century When slavery is commonplace and we are slaves. Now, whether we sold ourselves into slavery because we we had some debts, whether we were conquered by another country and another nation and and they took us slaves, or we, we were a third, fourth generation, it doesn't matter. And we somehow hear the gospel and we become a Christian. The the more we understand Christianity the more we understand how totally opposite slavery is to Christianity, right? Uh, Every human being is made in the image of God. Christ died for all. And so, the more we understand that how, what, how God values human life and people that He actually makes us in His image and gives us the ability to procreate in His image, the more we understand the more we understand that, that slavery is an anathema to everything Christianity stands for. But now, And so, we're Christians, but we're still slaves. And so, the, the concern was here that maybe the, the when someone becomes a Christian uh, uh, that uh, they would Well, verse 1, all who under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. I'm, I'm thinking if I was in that first century and I became a Christian, I would say, don't you guys understand this is wrong and we need to do away with it? I would start looking for freedom. Because that's we're freed in Christ, right? And And yet Paul has to write to Timothy not about how things ought to be but to how things are. And because, we're, because it was a, a, an imperfect and unfair world and there were things that were going on and happening to people that were wrong and unchristian and godly, that still he's calling them even in those unfair situations to be faithful people. Uh, proper conduct in the workplace. Uh, they should respect, Christians should respect unchristian authorities. So the real danger was when slaves found their freedom in Christ they would treat their unbelieving masters with disrespect um, and, it was even, and you can imagine that would be even more likely if your master is harsh or unjust. You know, you've, you've come to understand what godliness is and you're working for an ungodly person. Uh, but Christian slaves should consider their unchristian masters worthy of full respect. How hard do you think that teaching would be to hear if you're a, Christ, if you're a slave and a Christian in the first century or 21st century? How hard do you think that would be to hear? How many of you have ever worked for a boss you had a hard time respecting? How many of you have ever worked for a boss you had a hard time doing the best for because they were total jerks? And imagine if that boss felt like he, if that boss literally owned you and treated you like a, a, an implement or a tool rather than a human being. That, I'm thinking that's an incredibly high call. That's an incredibly difficult call. And, and I don't know about you, but I've, I've had bosses that, that I, I need to go back and apologize to because I just was not a Christian. I was a baptized person, but I wasn't behaving like Paul tells Timothy to teach the slaves in his congregation to behave. Respecting unbelieving masters keeps God's name and the Christian teaching from being slandered by those unbelievers. That's tough. Jim? (laughs) <laughs> right, yeah. There's some qualifiers there. Yeah, yeah. And thankful we have the freedom to move on somewhere else if we need to, yeah. Right. And so that was a reciprocal environment or I would see it as such. Yeah, I, I, there's, there's the, the case of the, the slaves who would stay with their masters. And there's even uh, specifications in the scripture for that. If somebody wants to stay with their master, they'll go to the doorpost and put a hole in it, right? Now, having said that, that, that in no way mitigates the fact that one person was treating another person as property. And there's no way to excuse that. There's, I mean, even no, no matter how nice the slave owner is, no matter how gracious, no matter how kind they are, there's absolutely no excuse and no way to justify one human treating another human as property and owning them. So I'm grateful for there were some nice slave owners who were, who were good people uh, in, terms of, in terms of treating people kindly. But we cannot let that pass for saying that, that one human being treating another human being as property is ever acceptable in any way, shape, form. Former fashion, so it, it's interesting. that we, we so let's let's take this out of the slave and master thing and actually can talk about you and me as as um, as Christians who fulfill our duty. Um, I have a hard time. Verse two talks about if you have a, a, a Christian master, which were even harder for me to understand how a Christian. But you know, Philemon is is all about that. So. The idea was that you even work, serve harder for a believing master because, after all, you're serving, they're, you both have the same God. So, let's think about some people. Um, you know, our duty is to conduct ourselves as Christians in the workplace. So, when I uh, decided I was going to go into preaching school, I was in sales, and I worked for a guy. And I knew when I went to work for him that he was a guy who would, uh, it was a commission. He would, he loved to change commission. Anytime he started making money, he would change commission. And so he, he did. so I, I wrote a contract and had him sign the contract that he, that he would not do that to me. And so I worked there for like a year, year and a half. And then my manager comes by and meets me and uh, we have lunch together. And he says, we're changing your commission and it's never in your favor. And I said, well, I have a contract. Uh, and he goes, yeah, you, you do. And I said, well, are you going to honor that? Well, yeah, we have up until now not any, anymore and, and I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not proud of this in any way shape. Or this, this, I'm sharing this with you as an example of, of how somebody can be a Christian and still fail miserably at being the kind of person that, that Paul is telling Timothy that he needs to teach his people to be. I decided I was going to get my revenge and so I went to work for the competitor. And my, my goal was to steal every account I could from the other guy and give it to the competitor. Not proud of that what makes it worse was I told the guy when, when he hired me, I said, I'm short term because in two months I'm going to preaching school. I'd love to go find that guy and say, I oh, mean, I repent and I apologize. Please don't measure Christians by my behavior. Please don't measure preachers by my behavior. I was, but, but I, so when I read these passages, these land really hard on me because I struggle with being the good servant even when I have a master that I that, that is hard to respect. And I I have I have a history where I have failed miserably at that. And so I guess maybe I'm a little sympathetic to the to the how difficult this can be for people to be godly people in ungodly circumstances. Uh, think about some people in scripture. Who do we have in scripture who had ungodly bosses but but they still served those bosses to the best of their ability, and the bosses benefited greatly from their service. Can you think of anybody like that? Joseph, Joseph? and Joseph and well, was, uh, Potiphar? Potiphar, the jail. Okay, the jailer Potiphar. Yeah. So so he's he's in jail. Uh, I just thought it was I thought it was bad when the guy changed my commission. He didn't put me in jail. Joseph is in jail, right? And he serves Potiphar, the jailer, so well that he becomes the master of Potiphar's house. And the only thing that, that, that Potiphar keeps from him is his wife and, everything. and Joseph is, is able to. And, and so, so Potiphar is, is benefiting mightily from, from Joseph, right? Wouldn't it be, I mean, if, if you're Joseph, how easy would it be to just be bitter my brothers have sold me. I'm in jail. I've done nothing wrong. I'm in a foreign country. I've done nothing wrong. I'm in jail. And now I have to work for this jerk that keeps me in jail. But instead of having that attitude, he does the best he can. And, and Potiphar's blessed by that. And then after that, we have Pharaoh. He goes to work for Pharaoh. And blesses him. not only Pharaoh blesses the entire Egyptian country, and through them blesses the whole world. When he, when he, when he stores the seven years of, of good crops... And, and, why, and finally winds up saving his own family, but he had people from all over the world coming to Egypt. Blessed him. Anybody else? Who else, who else served an, an ungodly master and did well and the master was, was thrived under their service. Huh? Jacob? Jacob? Yeah. With his, with his uncle, Laban? Yeah. So we, we had Jacob and Laban, uh, another one I thought of was Daniel with Nebuchadnezzar, they, so, so Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians come and, and lay siege to Jerusalem for a couple of years, where they're, they're resorting to cannibalism inside the city, and finally they conquer the city, break down the gates, take, take them prisoner, and one of the ones they take, pardon me, is, is uh, Daniel, and Daniel goes back, and you remember, they, he said, I, I don't want to eat the, 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 the unclean food, and so God blessed him, and then he, and he has this, what is it, I think Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, right? And he couldn't figure out the dream, and he said, you know, he brought his, his soothsayers in, and he said, you tell me what I dreamed, and then you, then you interpret the dream for me. And they all said, well, we can't do that. Nobody can do that. If you tell us the dream, we'll tell you what it means, but we can't, you know, nobody, nobody expects you to tell the dream. We'll, we'll tell you what it means, but you have to tell us the dream. Daniel comes in and tells him the dream. And there's a. Oh, I didn't get it. Uh, it's in the printer. Huh. I printed it, and I didn't get it. Huh? Oh, no, no, that's fine. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar praises the God of Daniel. When Daniel gives him the dream, he praises, he has this, this word of praise for the God of Daniel. Now, I don't know, there's nothing to indicate Nebuchadnezzar ever converted to, to Judaism or Christianity, but he recognizes that Daniel's God is one of a kind. And then there's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? We're not going to bow down and worship this idol that Nebuchadnezzar set up. We're not going to do that. When well, they throw them in the fiery furnace, they, they come out and they, they're, they're They're fine and they serve him so well that that Nebuchadnezzar says nobody can save like their god there's some amazing words so i look back on my failure to be the kind of christian god called me to be when i was under someone that that, that was treated unfairly and think about these these people in scripture and what they did not only to bless their ungodly master But through blessing the ungodly master, even their master has praise for the one true God. Uh, There's a high calling, a difficult task, but a high calling. So we need to be the kind of people that that whether we, uh, by the way, I've been the same kind of jerk for teachers when I was in high school. I was so obnoxious to one of the teachers when I was in high school that I needed his English class to graduate. And he said, I don't care if you graduate or not, you're not getting back in one of my classes ever again. But that's not a brag. I'm just saying that, that, that if you're anything like me, there may be times in your history where you fail to be the kind of person God's called you to be in difficult circumstances. I know I have miserably. So I look at what Paul's calling Timothy to teach in his congregation, call his congregation to, whether well, in difficult, difficult circumstances, and they're called to be the kind of people that, that, that serve so well that God's name is glorified. And we have examples of this in Scripture. We need to be the kind of people that do that. We need to be the kind of people that do that regardless of who gets elected, regardless of who's in office, regardless of who is, is the, the dog catcher or the mayor or the president or our boss. We need to be the kind of people that, give, that that's conduct ourselves in a way that gives glory to God. And uh, I'm, tr- I'm getting better, but I still have lots of room to grow. And if you're like me, then maybe you have some room to grow too. Thoughts? Comments? So, it, you know, thank you for that, Carl. Thank you. It's tough when you write these, when you, when you work on these lessons, you're thinking, okay, what, what's an application we can make? And I turn out to be the worst application there is. And, I, and that haunts me, that the, the way I behaved with that, going into preaching school and being vengeful with a previous employer, employer haunts me because I left that impression. If I could find that guy, I'd go to him and say, please don't judge all Christians by my horrible failure there. But I, I may not be the only one. I may not be the only one that's failed to be like a godly person in, in a difficult situation. You know One more? Yeah, So we started this lesson by uh, saying that Christians are called to duty, honor, and country. Uh, it's our duty to conduct ourselves as Christians in the workplace, at school, uh, around teachers or bosses that, that we don't respect and don't feel like are worthy of respect. We still are called to be people who conduct ourselves in a way so that God is glorified. And you see that with, with Jacob and, and with, with uh, Joseph and with Daniel, and God needs to see that in us, that's duty. We're called to honor our elders, honor, and we're called to fulfill our duty to our country. And I'm not talking about the U.S. of A. I'm talking about we're citizens and kingdom of the kingdom of heaven, and that's our responsibility. As Christians, Hebrews 11.13 says, we're aliens and strangers here on earth. Uh, Hebrews 11.16, we're longing for a better country, a heavenly one. We need to be people who honor our, our home country. Heaven and our home King, the God of God and the Lord of Lords. No matter what we do, no matter what situation we're in. Any other comments? I'm going to give you back five minutes. We got. We uh, so next time I'm late, five minutes. Y'all can cut me some grace, right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your servant, Paul, your servant, Timothy, for the Holy Spirit who's recorded these words that we might look on them and challenge ourselves to be the kind of people that you've called us to be. Help us to be people who fulfill our duty, who honor our elders, and who serve our country, uh, your country well. Help us to be great citizens of the kingdom of heaven and always conduct ourselves in a way that give you glory and honor strengthen us, and empower us to be the people you've called us to be. Bless us and watch over us. We lift up those people who have loved ones who are struggling with their health. And as we struggle in our own walk, we ask you to strengthen us and help us to be great servants for you. And when our time is up, we ask you to bring us home to be with you forever. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, church, we're dismissed.